When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Listening to the Career Musician Podcast with creator and host Nomad. With 20 plus years of experience in the music industry, Nomad has done just about everything to earn a living as a career musician. From being music director to celebrity artists, playing iconic arenas and stadiums, composing for film and TV, and even playing your average local club gigs, he's done it all. Nomad's mission is to empower musicians across the globe with strategies for a sustainable career while blasting stereotypes and to bring you tried and true wisdom from his colleagues in this crazy business we call music. Welcome to the Career Musician Podcast. On this episode, we have the amazing Chloe Flower. Now, if you don't know who Chloe is, believe me, you want to check her out. First of all, she's a viral sensation on Instagram. She's performed on the Grammys with Cardi B. She's a classically trained pianist. She studied abroad. She studied at the Manhattan School of Music. She's a philanthropist and an advocate to bring human trafficking to an end. She is an amazing person all around. She has worked with artists such as Celine Dion, Babyface, Nas, Swiss Beats, Salam Remy, Timbaland, Kevin Hart, and well, yes, the list goes on, of course. Do yourself a favor and check out her music. It is amazing, and it is certainly one of the more unique hybrids that you've ever heard. She's all over YouTube. Her website is chloeflower.com, and her Instagram is Miss Chloe Flower. She's a new artist on Sony Masterworks. Trust me, you are going to want to check her out. Once again, like you said, you're there, you're here, we're everywhere in quarantine. This is what we have to do. But it's great to have you from the skies of Manhattan. Yes! So what's it like in New York today? Is it a beautiful day? It looks beautiful from the, the light coming in. 
It's gorgeous. Actually, it's been raining. Yeah. It's been tropical rain here every day. Like the weather is changing. There's something different and you can see it because I'm so high up. I can see weather patterns changing because I work from home. So right. every day uh, I look out the window, like the uh, sunsets are different. The rain is different. Like, I don't know what's happening over here. I think maybe this quarantine life is like resetting earth too. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. It is interesting. It's scary and interesting all at the same time, right? Yes. Yeah, I know it. All right, so Chloe, you and I know each other through Kenny Babyface Edmonds, as I was the uh, MD for him for quite some time, and you started coming into the studio and working with him. But I have to ask you this: you were—it seemed like you were always working on a project. Is that right, or did, you, or were you just using some of the studio time there, or how did you guys hook up, and and what was the impetus there? You know. Well, so Kenny like signed me. We had a we met um, a long time ago. Um, at a concert and then I needed a producer you know I didn't really think anything of it and then I needed a producer later on I thought you know what I'm really gonna do this piano and um, uh, beats idea and I wanted to take it more seriously so I was like oh my gosh I remember that producer I met babyface so I googled him and um, I found Susan Markheim's email address on Google. And so sure. I just, I, was, I remember I was in December, it was almost Christmas, and I was just like laying in bed. I was like, let me just email her. It's like three o'clock in the morning, my time in New York. And uh, she answered right away. She was <laughs> like, I was like, I met Kenny like a long time ago, like three years ago, and you know, um, I need a producer. And so she responded and sent him the email. He remembered me. Um, I flew to, um, LA in January and uh, he signed me that day and then ever since then I've been working on basically my album it's been 10 years in the making you know like I won't you know I'm, I'm in I'm in a position where I don't have I don't have to release music if I don't want to so like I've right. always just been like waiting for the best song waiting for the best sound and you know just working right. so I've recorded over like 200 songs but you know Wow, 200 songs. So that's amazing. So Susan is Kenny's manager, for mm -hmm. people who might not know. And so that's amazing how that happened so quickly. And then to speak on the 10 years, you know, I believe that all the great artists need development. And I think that's what it is, because we're not only developing our sound, I truly believe we're developing ourselves. Yeah. What do you think? Def I definitely agree. You know, I have to tell you, like, when I listen to this stuff from early on, my ears were different. I Because I'm mixing right. drums and classical, I knew something was off, but I wasn't sure exactly what it was because I don't under, I'm not a seasoned drum programmer or even a seasoned drum listener. So right. I never felt confident about uh, the, the drums. And so it wasn't until recently that I really um, had to learn how to program my own drums. And that took 10 years for me to learn how to do do that stuff, you know? It's not so right, easy. Right. It's like, I basically had to start over and learn a new instrument, essentially. Even the way I perform is different. Um, it's so different in classical. It's almost like a whole new instrument. And so um, I guess it just took time. And, you know, time flies. Absolutely. <laughs> Man, I couldn't agree more. Well, you're doing a great job. I mean, all of your stuff so far is amazing. And I've had the pleasure of performing with you. And I just love it. I love the fusion that you're doing. <sighs> you saved me. I think I remember I gave you a bonus. I was like, you fucking yes. saved me. <laughs> I, was like, I, was, I was like, I have to give him the musician's equivalent of a bonus right now because he, you saved me. 
that, that performance. was so amazing. And thank you, by the no, way. No, thank we you. Were, <laughs> thank you. We, we were pleasantly surprised. Thank you. Uh, well, I look forward to more in the future. Me too. So, all right. So let's, this is the perfect spot to go back and talk about your history with music. So you started as a classical pianist from a very early age. Yes, two. Amazing. Your whole life then, you had been studying classical and performing classical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that and what was that like growing up and studying? And um, You know, I think there is probably nothing that I could do in my life for like 14 hours a day and not be depressed or not hate it like I have no social life I never have like this quarantine is like basically a Tuesday afternoon for me you know me in the studio like no windows 12 hours so it's it's not a thing for me um I'm so used to it but I I knew very early on that there wasn't anything else I could do for that long um Mm. so I knew I was going to be a musician my first concert was uh my mom told me recently was at a nursing home and I was four three or four. I performed it. You know, I sat on a telephone book, not to age myself, but you can probably just Google it. But I was sitting on a telephone (laughs) book and, um, and a pillow. And so I, I, I started performing very early and I, um, you know, at different things like little performances and I just loved it. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. And where did you grow up primarily? Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, like, like Western central Pennsylvania. I call it Pennsylvania, like not Philadelphia. Right. Right. So right, you're 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 just above Kentucky, out in the countryside. Like basically between like yeah. Alabama and Kentucky is what it yeah. looks like. <laughs> right, 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 right. Incredible. <laughs> All right. So how did you come to start to mess around with the drums and say, wait a minute, let me see what happens if I play with some hip hop elements? And, you know, how did that all transpire? So I went to a conservatory in London at the Royal Academy of Music. And when I was there, you know, um, London wow. was a, yeah, it was really fun. And it was so cool wow, to be we, young. Wow, hold on, we can't, we can't <laughs> blow over that. That's huge. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, you know. It was like there weren't that yeah. many Asian people, you know. So it was like, it was really cool. Um, you know, as a young person being in a city like London and like really experiencing that like culture shock, because this is, you remember, not to age myself, but this is like pre-iPhone days. So like, you know, it didn't have the same like accessibility that we have now in terms of even traveling was way more expensive back then. Like it wasn't like there was no JetBlue, like stuff like that. I mean, maybe there That's was, right. but um, uh, so I was in, I was in London and I had experienced so much of the culture, including, um, learning about nightclubs and like, I had my first like drink in London, like, you know, it was like fun times. Like I started wearing Versace instead of Armani, you know, like, you know, I changed nice. my fashion, like a little more JLo looking. And so the music, um, I started listening to a lot more hip hop and a lot more popular music. And when I was in my practice room, just kind of, uh, bored with the monotony of a Bach partita for like 25 hours straight like you know I decided to just like listen to my iPod do you remember iPods and um I had my iPod in I was like listening to Jaw Rule I think or Fat Joe someone and then uh, I started playing my Bach with it and it like totally worked it just like worked and I was like this could work and then I had studied crossover music and I had seen so many artists in London um in fact, they tried to sign me when I was in London. I said no because I didn't like the music. I didn't like the crossover sound. And I was like, if they had done it this way with different drums, and like it could sound cool. And so I was on a mission ever since then to like 
make my drum sound cool, but unfortunately I didn't know how to drum program. So it just, it took forever, you know? That's incredible. So you were in your practice room, you decided to listen to the iPod and it just clicked. Yeah, it just clicked. It was just like, it just worked. Like even, like you understand music cause you're such an amazing musician. I mean like the, 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 like the turns of the song matched the turns of the classical song. Like it just, it worked. And I was like, if this were actually done properly, it could really be hot. There you go. Well, it is yeah. hot. You've made it hot. It's amazing. <laughs> So I'm so glad that all transpired. So tell us a little bit more about your bio resume coming up in music. You didn't like the kind of watered down poppy crossover sound. You figured out this sound. What were some of the next, uh, you know, echelons in your career, the next steps? Um, you know, it was a lot of looking for producers. Like I, I really was like in London, I didn't find anyone. Like they had a producer for me that did EDM type music. It was just like douche, 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 douche. And like, it was just, you know, that's not what uh, drums are in my music. If you listen to my music, every drum is like a piece of an orchestra. Like it's not, I don't just have hats in there for no reason. Like every hat has to sound, match the song and every 808 has to match the song, the rhythm, but also the sound. Um, and it just wasn't working. And so I just, I moved back to New York. I started working for Russell Simmons as an intern. And wow. um, I didn't know who he was either. And I just, I met someone and he was like, you should do, um, I wanted to do philanthropy. And so I was like, I don't want to work. I just want like, like, is there like, you know, maybe I can work at a music school. And he's like, I know this guy, Russell Simmons, who started an art, a visual arts program. And I was like, oh, I love painting. So I was like, maybe I'll do that. So I started as an intern there. Um, the only position they had available was in his executive office as an assistant. And I was just like, um, that sounds fine, like whatever. Wow, and yeah. uh, so I started I started there, I worked with him and he's like a dad to me now, like was like truly like my only friend when I moved to LA to sign with Kenny. It was like, he was wow. the only person um, that I knew there. I don't even know if he was there yet, actually. I just, um, I think he was still in New York at the time. Yeah, I left him here in New York. I was like, I'm quitting, bye. <laughs> I moved to LA without him. He came afterwards. Um, and so I, I didn't, um, so that was a like, that was interesting because obviously he's in the hip hop world. So then I started meeting a lot more hip hop producers, but none of which none of I, none of which I could work with, you know. Okay. It's like right. you know I couldn't I didn't work with anyone that I met through him. So Kenny was the first producer I worked with. It's pretty amazing that you decided to go in this direction and you landed with two of the biggest I know, by you know legends in in music. Period. Oh yeah, that's you know, true. That's really cool. Yeah, that's I that's about that. That's so funny. You say you forgot. Okay, so talking, I think that I look at Russell like an entrepreneur. I keep forgetting right. that he started Def Jam. Started like I hip -hop. always, yeah. yeah, I always forget that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And of course, Kenny with LaFace. So I mean, yes. again, not only two of the biggest music figures, but you know, music business figures. These yeah. these guys were at the top of the game. Like I always used to say. Well, I still say it about Kenny. He wrote the '90s. The '90s wouldn't Damn. exist if he didn't write them. They were so good. They were so good because of him. He wrote the damn 90s. Uh, all right. So that's incredible. Really cool how you had you were rubbing elbows from, from the get-go with some really amazing talent. And uh, again, even though it's taken 10 years to cultivate your sound, I think it was well worth it. You know? Thank you. Absolutely. Now, with that being said, you mentioned drums and hi-hats and, and, and 808s and whatever. And whether it's trap sounds or, you know, a little bit more dated uh, sounds, you mentioned orchestration. 
and that yeah. each drum has its place within the arrangement. Talk more about that and the importance of it, because I think a lot of producers today don't realize maybe perhaps they don't know why they have to learn harmony and understand notes and understand the difference between the scales and the keys, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think, like, the interesting thing about drums is that, like, well, the, like, pop music, we all know, is, like, four chords, right? Like, right. basically, like, sometimes you'll have, if you're Kenny, you'll modulate and, like, you know, right. but, um, <laughs> but essentially you have, like, kind of a, a repetition there. And um, in pop music, that's great. And in, in, in drums, you don't, the drums are never the focal in pop music. The vocal is. Um, and, uh, and the orchestration is always really low. Like, Paul and I always with the mix, I'm always like, no, bring out the strings and like make the piano louder and mic the piano from here. Right. I'm always like, because it's just a different method. And, um, and I think with producers, because they're, um, they have such a, it's such a unique sound with drums and synth and stuff. They don't necessarily need to, uh, like learn different chords, right. They just need to like know a bass note and then they can layer on top of that. They don't have to play harmonies. Right. Um, right. And so I think that's part of the struggle in finding producers who are not like musically educated, even at the most basic level, is that like, you know, my music can't, uh, you can't mask the drums and you can't mask the orchestration because there's no lyrics. That's all there is. So you don't like, you're not listening to words and you're not like listening to a singer, you're listening to something as a whole. So like when you think about an, orche an orchestral um a concert with like a soloist, like a concerto, like a piano concerto, or even an opera singer when, or violinist, and you're at the at at like let's say um, uh, Disney Hall where we perform together. Right, that's right, um, another one, yeah. I wasn't gonna mic the piano, and the piano oh. wasn't mic'd. Oh, you guys were the only ones that were mic'd. My piano wasn't mic'd, and none of the strings on the stage were mic'd because we never mic our instruments. Right. And because the point is, is like even when you're a soloist, it's supposed to all blend. So the drums have to blend too, and they're much more pronounced in, a, in an instrumental song than they are in um, a song with a vocal. Right, you know? right. When you were in school, did you study orchestration and arranging, or just were you a primarily a performance major? I was just a performance major. I only studied classical piano. I did nothing else. I studied how to program drums at the Kenny Babyface Edmonds okay. School of Brandon's Way. Like well, basically well, 10 I, years of watching all of them and being that's like, right. eh, yeah, you got I need that to do too. That. You nailed it. You nailed it. So, so look, but I have to express to people perhaps who might not have heard of you, although that's pretty difficult because you're an amazing uh, force now. Um, you're technical ability your prowess on the piano is really hard to rival i mean it's look who's talking it's a, yeah but you are a freaking piano genius <sighs> like when you touch those I keys i think i think the keys when you go near a keyboard they go they they kind of whimper a little bit they're like eh, they get scared <laughs> they get like a rag doll <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, like oh what, what i turn into what i turn into when i see rihanna i'm like <laughs> okay, well, then the keys do the same thing because you just have a way. I mean, you make the piano speak in such a way. So when you say that, oh, I just studied classical piano, you didn't just I study. I some of the best teachers in the world, you, you know. You mastered it. Talk about some of your teachers. <laughs> 
I started, well, I started very, um, I played violin and cello and piano all when I was, you know, under 10 years old. And then wow. I studied locally. And then at 12, I was shopping with my mom. We went to Tyson's Corner in Virginia. It's like a, a big shopping mall with like a Neiman Marcus. And, um, we, on the way back, we passed a university and there was a piano competition there. And I was like, can I go inside? So I went inside and it just happened to be the last day. There's like usually two or three days of the competition. And, um, I met the winner. She was my age and uh, we were like one year apart and she uh, um, won first place and I was like, you're so much better than me. It's it's crazy. And I was like, how are you so good? Because I'm, I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, like Amish, like really small town. Yeah. And uh, she was like, I study at um, the Manhattan School of Music in New York with the best teacher. And I was like, I want to study with him too. <laughs> and so I got, I became friends with her. I got her number and then we, um, we became really close friends. And then I called her piano teacher and I was like, I need a better piano teacher. He let me audition. And then he laughed at me so hard because I was horrible. Like I had not, I've been studying locally with like a local teacher. So I, although I was very musical, like he was always like, you're so musical. And that's the only reason he accepted me in a studio. Um, he's like, technically you're, your hands are half the size of mine, and also you are way behind. And okay, so, what age were you when that? Twelve. Happened? I was twelve, which is very old for classical. Extremely right, because old. you start so young. So how did he get you on the right course to to coming up to that level? He was like, if you're going to take this seriously, you're going to have to practice between twelve and eighteen hours a day. You know, like something like that, and. Um, you have to get into the school. I had to get into Manhattan School of Music pre-college division. And the audition, this was July 5th. Um, and the audition was in September or October. I don't remember. I had a couple months. He's like, you only need to learn three songs and you only need to learn half of each song. Like, because there's not enough time. You know, they'll only show, play sure. the opening and, the, and they'll never make you play the uh, recapitulation, which is the end. Right. And so um, I learned, I think it was either two or three songs. Like, maybe it was two. Um for memory and like I had never memorized music really until then like I wasn't wow. like I wasn't like a, I was I thought I was gonna be a musician but I was coming from a very small town and I didn't know what that meant like we didn't have internet like the way we have now like I just was a pianist and I was just crushing it in my hometown and That's um right. And so I practiced, you know, like between 12 and 14 hours a day preparing for this audition. And then I auditioned and I, you know, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Crushed it. That's <laughs> of course you did. I, I miss those days of practicing. I used to practice 8 to 12 hours a day. Yeah, you when sound I was like it. Around that age. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, you know, it takes you one to like know one. You sound like Paganini over there on the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> I love Paganini. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. So, um, Wow. And it takes dedication. Now, when you're 12 and you found this teacher and you started going 12 to 14 hours a day mm -hmm. in the practice room, how long did that last? I, I, I bet to say that didn't stop until you were in your 20s. I mean, it never really stops, right? Like I've been working, like right? I'm in quarantine right now. I've been working 10, 15 hour days every day. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I, I don't think it, it ever stops. It. And Paul actually, That's you right. know, if you guys don't know, yeah. Paul is our mutual engineer and yeah. uh, uh, good uh, friend. Good friend. And my studio husband, I call him, he texted <laughs> me the other day and I was like, he was like, hey, did you, I was just checking because he didn't, he was checking on me because I didn't check an email he had sent me. And I was like, Mm. Sorry, I've been working 10 hours straight and I, I was like, it's a quarantine. I'm supposed to be taking a break. Like, when is this going to end? I thought I was going to be resting. And he was like, you're an artist. It's never going to end. I was like, oh my God, light bulb moment. <laughs> never going to end for us. <laughs> Amen. 
No truer words have been spoken. Never I love that. that. Okay. Just embrace it. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so now we have to talk about this. You have this unique way of, you know, weaving together the music and the culture and the fashion. When did you become such a fashionista? And I've asked you this before as friends. And I'm like, Chloe, how the heck did you become this model fashion goddess? How did that evolve? Was that something that you always had when you were younger or was it an evolution later on or, you know? Oh yeah, no, I was um, definitely into fashion since I was born. Actually, I always joke that one of my first things I've ever read was like W Magazine. I used to read Harper's (laughs) Bazaar. Like I had, I got every single fashion magazine since I can remember. Like I studied music and fashion at the same time because my mom was a model and she was like so into fashion she's so chic and so everything like i just learned from her she was like super chic there you go that explains it (laughs) yeah you can go back to like when i was like in high school and i'm like in like straight up head to toe like calvin klein armani like (laughs) wow wow that's really now how does one get into that let's say a young person who looks up to you and says wow i want to do what she does you know, how do they kind of go after that? What's the trajectory there? You know, I've been so lucky. Um, I don't really like seek out opportunities as much as I wish I, you know, I always say I wish I was more of a hustler. Um, but I've had like a lot of opportunities just kind of come to me, but there is an aspect of hustling that I think nowadays, especially with Instagram, you have to like really be proactive because there's, we're so inundated with so much, not just pictures, posts, videos, articles, news, it's like a constant stream of short spurts of everything. And so um, hustling is definitely way more uh, needed now, I think, than before. Um, But I would say like I always, for me personally, I I never work with a brand that I don't love on my own. So like I think part of being um, a good like brand ambassador is to actually be authentic and care about the 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 brand and care about what you're promoting. So for me, I always would tell people like pick something you like, research that area, and then go after. Don't wait around for someone to come find you. Basically, go after what you want to do. I love that. That's the best advice. It's so perfect. <laughs> be a hustler. Have grit. Get on that grind and just yeah. keep doing. It. And don't let anybody tell you no. If you feel like you want to do it, do it. Right. I've never, I've never been, that's one thing, I've never been afraid of the word no. Even when I met Kenny, like, when I emailed him, I was like, what's the, what's the worst that could happen? You can say no. Like, he was like, fly to, his assistant was like, um, Anne was like, can you fly to LA in January? Because he was going to visit his mom in Vegas during Christmas. And so I flew there January 5th or 6th. And um, I wasn't nervous or anything, because I was like, he, he might just say no. And I think a lot of people are scared of the word no, but it's like, who cares? Like, they'll say no, and then on to the next. Exactly. Ah, perfect segue. So I ask, I ask all my guests this about business acumen, you know, and you mentioned it. You said you, you wish you were a little bit more of a hustler, but you've, you've had some great opportunities. And I do believe you're a hustler, <laughs> regardless of what you say. Talk more about some business acumen that you may have developed or some things that you think are important in the music business and the fashion industry, you know, as, as a whole. Um, I one one business venture that I was really excited about was I started a drink company called Modern Alchemy with one of my best friends, and we use like an old Asian recipe, and it's all organic, all natural, almost vegan. There's a Japanese honey in it, which is technically not vegan, um, 
but otherwise it's like all like plant-based, um, great for a hangover cure or pre-hangover prevention. Um, it's basically a little tiny tonic. Um, and uh, that was really fun. I think that like, um, I think that I had three other partners, so they were able to really um, help with that with that and promotion because obviously it's not something that I could do by myself. It's like a full-time sure. job. Um, sure. So there's that aspect of business. I've always loved business. Um, and then in the music business, I think now uh, what my main business is becoming is like uh, really, like we talked about earlier, building a, um, a team, like building, like not like a company, but almost like act treating music as if it, it were like a fortune 500 business. Because I think that a lot of artists, um, they are just artists. And although that's a beautiful thing, like nowadays for me personally and the type of music, like I'm not a singer, I'm doing a new genre of music. I have to be smart and I have to like, I have to be savvy and I have to be conscientious of all the business aspects because as a session artist you know what it's like you know you could get your you can get like taking advantage taken advantage of and I've worked 10 years and didn't get paid for 10 years um, so I think that being business savvy putting all your um, business finances the, the way you spend money the way that you, uh, learning like I learned how to do a lot of stuff so that I don't have to outsource it you know just kind of creating that like Ooh. company you know what I'm saying? Man, yes, I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. And you know. that's why the career musician exists. Exactly. To help like, educate. I listen yes. to the career musician and look for musicians <laughs> in the career musician podcast. Exactly. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. the whole premise of it. Yeah. So, wow. I can't wait till we can get together on stage one day and do a performance and a lecture series and a workshop all like in Like a TED one. Talk. Yes. Well, you should be doing that's a TED it. Talk. I can't wait for a TED Talk. That's my ultimate goal. That's why I want to take the career musician to the TED Talk stage. You have to. And I want you there performing with me for the performance segment. And we'll do workshops. Come on. Yeah. This is brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we're going to get there. We're going to mm -hmm. get there. Mm -hmm. So, so excited to hear you say that you operate your, your daily operations as a Fortune 500 company. It doesn't yeah. have to be so strict and so tight-laced, but it still yeah. has to be structured in a way that makes sense. Hi, I'm Chloe Flower, and you're listening to the Career Musician Podcast with my amazing friend, Nomad. Download, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Sign up for the Career Musician newsletter at thecareermusician.com. Now let's talk about that. When you started with the Instagram thing, how did that happen? And, and it, I know you've done performance videos. You really focused on performance, performance, performance. Yeah. What, um, did somebody tell you about that? Did you kind of just get, yeah, what happened? So basically I learned about Instagram and Twitter. Obviously when I worked with Russell, he was you know a huge entrepreneur, Russell Simmons. And he, uh, every, I was in his executive office. So everyone had to get, come to me to get to him. So like, you know, Oof. they were like, we're starting Instagram, we're starting Twitter. Like what handle do you want? You can pick any handle. I could have had at Chloe, but I, you know, Russell was like, don't do at Chloe. He's like, make it cool. Like mine's at, uh, I was like, why don't you just do Russ, Russell? And he was like, no, I'm going to do mine, Uncle Rush. That's so cool. Like, Every name was available. So I was like, oh, I'll do Miss Chloe Flower. I don't know why I picked the longest. I could have just had Chloe, but whatever, <laughs> it's fine. 
but so when I, that's how I started with Instagram was actually when I was working with Russell, like he kind of like showed me, like I taught him how to use the internet and then he taught me how to use all the apps associated with the internet. And then, um, incredible. Yeah. And then it wasn't, and then I just had it and I never once had any posts. And then when I collaborated with Swiss beats, um, a long time ago, uh, he hit me up like while I was in LA recording and he was like, Hey, like your Instagram sucks. Like there's zero posts. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's like, I don't do Instagram. Like, I'm not into Instagram. And he was like, you have to. You have to get on Instagram. So it was actually Swiss who made me go on Instagram. So my first post, I think, is like me and and uh, Deepak Chopra and Kenny at the studio when we recorded. Wow. It wasn't until like 2010 or something. It's my first post. Oh, so awesome. <laughs> Deepak Chopra. Wow. Love Talk him. about that. Did, what kind of a project did you guys do together? Where he's going to be on my album. He did spoken word on my <laughs> album. So... <laughs> He's a Amazing. great guy. He practices what he preaches. Like, just everyone right. should know that, like, Deepak, I know him personally. Whatever he says to you on a, in a performance, he practices or tries his best to practice in yeah. life. That's, that, that's so important. Yeah. So important. Okay, so then you're doing IG, you've amassed this amazing following, and, and your fans are so beautiful, and I love the interaction that you have with your fans. And I think that's, like, the 90% of it is that interact be real you know spread love spread joy right yeah. and that's exactly what you do yeah try you do that <laughs> so you crush it but then all of a sudden this leads to you on the grammy stage with cardi cardi <laughs> cardi so tell us tell us about that how did that happen she found me on instagram her creative director right? um found me through uh, a mutual friend my my uh, I think you met Lauren Cherodini. She was my publicist, but okay. also a very close friend. Um, and yes. she introduced me to Marsha St. Hubert, who who is a, um, a marketing exec over Atlantic, where uh, Cardi is signed. Okay. And so we had dinner one night on the way. I, was, I wasn't I was drinking because, um, well, I don't really drink, but I, I wasn't drinking really that night because I was going to a session with Meek Mill. And uh, she was like, I was we were talking about it. And so she remembered that I was a pianist from that dinner. And then... Uh, when it came time to the for the Grammys, like two years later, I guess this was like two years before the Grammys, she remembered, and so she suggested me to Tanisha Scott, Cardi's creative director, and then they looked at my Instagram and they were like, yeah, and then they <laughs> called me. They called me and they were like, can you come play with Cardi? And I initially had said no because, um, you know, I don't know if people realize, but like money has only one, two notes in E flat and in E natural. I was like, I, I was like, there's not a lot going on in the that? song. So, <laughs> so I was just like, you should hire a model. I literally said that. And I was like, you should oh, hire wow. like a model on stage. Cause they initially wanted me to be naked, like in the music video, like with a naked bodysuit with like the dancers. Wow. And I was like, I was like, you could hire a model to play those two notes. I was like, I'll do it if I can play some solos. And wow. so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, ask and ye shall receive. Exactly. What's the worst that could happen? And Cardi said yes. She was so freaking supportive. Oh my god, she's such so a good. supportive girl's girl. Like no ego. Really? Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. So awesome. Wow. I'm just it, a lot of the things you say. It takes a minute to digest because, again, you're operating on such a high level, with you know, and not just because they're celebrities, but with people who are experts in their field or at the top of their game, right? Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. So it's really nice to know that people that you've worked with and people like yourself 
remain humble and are cool and chill. Yeah. yeah. It's such an important aspect. Definitely. Yes. All right. So now let's rewind a bit because you talked about session work. You yeah. said as a, as a studio musician, you have experience, obviously. And you mentioned, you know, we get taken advantage of sometimes. And it's true. Totally. I've been a session musician for 20 some odd years. And it's like, wow. I mean, how many sessions did you do for me for free? I'm sure you've done 100 sessions for me, even for free. So Yeah, but we're doing, but that's different because we're doing demos. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, true. hey, we're going to do this demo. We'll send it to the A&R, see what they think, or let yeah. me see, you know, that's totally different. But then there's also other projects where you've hired me. You said, no, I'm going to pay you for this one because yeah. I know it's going to be, you know. You know, so, I always try to pay my session artists, like, like I at least pay union. Absolutely. Well, you're extremely fair. You're extremely generous, not even just fair. So, because I'm a musician, so I'm like shit. Yeah. Like. Let's talk about that, <laughs> because there's so many times. First of all, here's here's my issue. My biggest issue. A lot of times, producers get a budget from the label, and and they say, okay, let's let's talk in real real dollars mm -hmm. today. Okay. Let's just say you get a, a ten thousand dollar budget to record two songs. Mm -hmm. For for a semi not like a, not like a major major artist but yeah. a semi you know just beneath that okay mm -hmm. ten and then and then the the producer says okay I'm gonna need this kind of musician for this maybe another musician here but everything else I'm gonna program so maybe they hire two musicians mm -hmm. okay fine hire the two musicians that's great first of all like you said pay union scale always you know? yeah and if you don't know what the union is just look it up AFM American Federation of Musicians yep. really simple so easy <laughs> and it's it's just a way for us to know that we're getting treated fairly and getting yeah. a proper wage and we get some, some health and welfare and pension, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. For later on. Mm -hmm. But it's the producer's responsibility to do this. So oftentimes, producers not only don't know, they don't care to educate themselves about it. So they just let it fall by the wayside. Well, yeah, and they're trying to get like the cheapest everything. So, yeah, you know. And then on top of it, so many times, they don't even freaking follow up and pay the musicians. Or give you a producer point. Uh, oh. <laughs> How many times have I produced a song? I'm like, oh, shit, that sounds oh, like uh, me on the radio. Uh, I'm like driving in St. Bart's. I was like, hey, that sounds like Chloe Flower made it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, you, I'm sure it's happened so, to you a thousand oh, times. Oh, I know. I, but yeah. Let's talk about how do you circumvent some of that? How do you stand I, up for yourself? You know, the thing is, is like, um, anytime that that's happened, I, I honestly like it's pop. No, like, n like it's pop and hip hop. It's, it's not a lot right. of work. It's not like I scored right. a film that happened to me once where I right. scored a film and didn't get a credit and didn't get paid. It was so rude. Um, but other wow. than that, like, it's just like, you know, um, I think you just, you know, it's like, oh shit, it wasn't that much work, but like, you just have to, again, run yourself like a business because that would never happen in a business. Like you would yeah. have a lawyer, you would have a contract. That's right. <laughs> Can you imagine if you do a, did a spread for Vogue magazine yeah, and, no. and you never got paid for it or never yeah, credit, you never exactly. credited it? It's like, what? Yeah, it doesn't you, happen. It doesn't happen. And like, <laughs> that's why, like, you know, ever since like the last like few years with my new boyfriend, who's like my, you know, Michael, he started major league gaming. Yeah. He knows how to, he's like a CEO. So he knows how to run a fucking Michael's business. Awesome. He's the right. best. So he really he's runs incredible. me like a business and teaches me a lot about um, business. Like in the mornings we watch uh, Squawk Box and CNBC, that's like right. just yeah. trying to get like, you know, more educated. But um, I just, you know, I'm like, whatever. 
It's like, okay, yeah. like what, what see, do you do now? See, but a lot of artists and musicians have that kind of, you know, oh, whatever, you know, something else will come down a lot. And that is true. Mm-hmm. You know, the universe always takes care of those who put forth good energy, right? Yeah. We believe in that. We know that. That's true. But yeah. at the same time, you do have to run it like a business and you do have to advocate. So here's what I do. Mm-hmm. For those who are listening may be wondering, I always tried to have somebody else do that part of the business for me. Yes. Because when you do it yourself, it gets weird. Mm-hmm. So if I just played on your album and it was amazing and we connected as human beings and we had the soul vibe session artistically and creatively, and then I got to be like, yo, so uh, you owe me 2,500 bucks. It's going to be like, whoa, wait a minute. That's weird. <laughs> you know? But you have Susan for <laughs> Exactly. So you go to the managers, you go to the representatives. And a lot of times musicians, we don't have managers. So what I tell musicians, especially as you're working your way up, if you have a sibling, a best friend, a family member, or even if you have to hire somebody. Or a fake email address. A fake email. Thank you. (laughs) See an alias. Mm -hmm. So you're acting as a manager. Exactly. Yeah. That's the best way. That's a great idea. Yeah, where were you like five years ago? Come on, Nomad. <laughs> why weren't you? De- why was well, I listening to this podcast five years ago? Where was this podcast? <laughs> oh, jeez. And then even just saying Nomad, just talk about branding because then. And you know what? Really interesting story. The reason why I took the artist alias, everybody back back then, everybody was misspelling my name on the liner notes, really? on the album credits. Yeah, because I did. I Rip-hole? did eight years, and they would go Rapoli or Ripple. Or here's the worst. They would call me RuPaul. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not a drag queen. I'm a musician. I love RuPaul. He's love, very entertaining and fun. <laughs> it's so cool. But it's like, you know, that's, he already has credit. He already yeah. has his empire. I'm trying to build mine. Exactly. You need your freaking name spelled right at, like, the, at the very least. If you're uh, not anyway, getting paid. Reasons, right? That's one of the reasons why I went with that. And also because as modern day musicians, we're all nomadic. That's very cool. By nature, we're nomadic, right? That's what yeah. we do. Yeah, so. my dad's Mongolian. I know a nomad. It's See, like. there you go. <laughs> there you go. All right, move, shifting back to you. So, so many amazing things, but now let's talk about what you advocate for. I love looking at your social media because it's not just about the music. It's not just about the fashion, but you have a bigger purpose. And what, talk to us about that. Um, well, yeah, I do a lot of, you know, like I said earlier in the in the podcast, my first concert was at a nursing home. So I guess I, I essentially started charity work when I was three. Um, I, I always did free concerts for, um, I have like a soft spot for old people. Um, I love oh, old people, awesome. probably because I give concerts in nursing homes. Um, I just like <laughs> love old people. But um, so I've been, you know, doing a lot um, of that. And my parents always taught me very early on that, uh, as a, especially as a classical pianist or an instrumentalist, um, they always taught me that music is about service. So, like, I used to have, um, sometimes I would get nervous, like, to perform, and my mom would be like, you're only nervous because you're thinking about yourself, and, you know, music is, you know, performing is a service, an act of service, and, you know, if you go out there and you're like, I'm making people happy, I'm performing for them to make them feel better, then you're not going to be nervous because it doesn't matter. They're just there to enjoy you. They're not there to judge you. And if they, if there are people who are there to judge you, you know, it doesn't matter because you're providing a service. So, um, so that is kind of like where that started. I guess I, I was learning empathy, like 
very early on. But um, that's a great tool that your mom gave you. Yeah, she, that's a very my great mom, tool. Yeah. My parents are the best. I'm so lucky. I have the best yeah. parents. Um, but then I, when I uh, was performing in in Asia, that's when I learned about human trafficking, and I felt like that was something that really resonated with me because um, it was something that is so. It's like there's a very few industries in this world that like actually prey on the most vulnerable, right? Like you, mm. you know, they they go after. It's like an industry that goes after our like our most at risk youth, youth, our most vulnerable people, and then it's a, it's right. a, it's it's something that spans every age. Like in LA, I remember we rescued an eighty year old from labor trafficking in. Lost in East Los Angeles, and then you have three-year-olds who are being trafficked um, as oh. sex workers, and so this the range was so big, and it all really depended on where you were born. It was just a luck of a draw type situation. So, at, like when I learned about human trafficking, I was like, "Holy shit, that could be me if I were born not with my parents, but born somewhere else in a condition like even in Cambodia or even in you know in um, Times Square, we have so many young twelve-year-olds um, being trafficked." And so, I, I felt like that really resonated with me, and it was something that I felt like um, I didn't know about, and I was like, I considered myself at that time like educated, well traveled. Um, I had right. already been to London. So like, you know, I was like, how do I not know about this? And so it became initially an awareness campaign where I came back and I was like, I want to build awareness. Now that everyone knows about it, it's, um, I've used music education as a tool of prevention. So I've been working on that since like 2006, forever. I love that. <laughs> Amazing. Holy shit. That's amazing. For a long time. Wow. But we need, we need that. I, there was another artist that I worked with, Natalie Grant. Uh, based out of Nashville, who's a contemporary Christian artist, mm -hmm. and she works heavily in that area as well with, you know, outreach for human trafficking, uh, you know, just awareness Amazing. and figuring out ways to help fix the issue is so, yeah. so difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. But thank you. That's, that's incredible. How can people get involved on a level, you know, perhaps where they, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I think... I think talking about it, like we said earlier, is uh, is is huge. I think when people are, are confronted with with like trafficking of young kids, um, trafficking of old people, right? There, it, there's something inside them that like like it's like a physiological reaction, right? So I, it's hard to talk about. So people don't want to talk about it. It's not comfortable to talk about. Mm. Um, people are always like, why do you have to talk about that? So I think talking about it more and um, is definitely helpful. And then like on like a more massive scale, really like. Um, most most people enter human trafficking, and I'm not even just talking about the supply side. I'm talking about the demand side too, because they um, are coming from a certain uh, environment, whether it's poverty or whether it's lack of community, lack of um, parents, lack of friends, lack of education. So, if you're in a position where you are educated, you could be a mentor to somebody. Like that, that can change. That can like stop somebody from entering uh, the supply side because all of a sudden, like these people who are in trafficking, they don't have a sense of identity, they don't have a sense of community, they don't have money, they don't have an education, so they end up um, taking risks that they don't have to take. And so I always encourage people to be like a buddy or a mentor and, and to, you know, just one person, if you can, just like a pen pal and you can, you know, encourage them to make the right choices and show them that they have a sense of community. Because once you have a sense of community, which is like what music education does, you see a lot of these at-risk youth 
not end up going into trafficking or into other um, right. industries that are degrading. You know, <laughs> sorry, it was heavy. <laughs> it's incredible. It's amazing. Let Let's talk about your voting advocacy. Uh, I saw a post today. You said uh, four million seventeen-year-olds will be eighteen. Yeah. By November. Over four million. Yeah. Yeah. So over four million. Mm-hmm. So that's a big chunk. That's a lot of people. So talk about that. Well, I think uh, you know it. You know, I mean, like it was like this. This pandemic was like the perfect um, environment for a cause to be amplified because we were all stuck inside for three months. Like my friends were dying to go go out and like go outside and like be around people, and I'm sure that was a lot of people all over the world. And then you have this pandemic keeping you inside for three months, and then all of a sudden you're at home, really not working because a lot of corporate businesses shut down. So you're watching the news a lot, trying to catch up, see what's happening. It's exciting. No one's ever really under. It's like very huge time for science right so you're just like what is going on what is going on it's like almost like you're watching like 24 and it's real life um right it's like you're like what is trump gonna do next right crazy person so Mm. um i think when when george floyd was murdered on memorial day and it was a holiday um it was like the the recipe was perfect for everyone to be involved and everyone to pay attention to the cause which was black lives matter obviously and um uh which is like really amazing. And, and it was such a, it was like to see everyone unified and to see everyone care about something that I, you and I have seen all day long, every day posting about. I, I, flew, to, I flew into Ferguson. Um, when they were protesting in 2014, I was in Ferguson. I did music education wow. there. I posted that, no one cared. Nobody cared about Ferguson. And so, um, and so, you know, it was, it was so wonderful to see everyone care. But at the end of the day, um, we have to vote all of those people out who are making the decisions because that's, that's just right. like with human trafficking, it's all policy. And you, if you go, if oh. you're if you're trafficked as a minor, they will send you to Rikers. I sat in on Queens County Court so many times with this amazing Asian judge named Judge Sarita, and she would sentence um, prostitutes to rehab. And she was one of the only judges that do that because most people sentence prostitutes even if they're underage and even if they were trafficked, sent, sent them to jail because prostitution is, uh, is illegal. And so, and they're, and pimps are not getting, they're not being held accountable, just like cops, they're not being held accountable, they're never in trouble. See? So the behavior never the- changes. And so in order for us to change policy and in order for, um, for us to have the people in office that are gonna make difference in local state, everyone has to vote. I'm just talking about November 3rd elections for the president. On November 3rd, like Lindsey Graham is running, you know, like there's senators, there's Congress people, there's a lot of people running. And I think if you wanna see change, I mean, that's gonna be the way to do it. So I, I always just try to advocate voting. I love that. And once again, if you don't know all the different uh, people who are running for which office, mm-hmm. do some research. Google yeah. is right there. Yeah, and there's do great it at, at your, Yeah, mm-hmm. do it at your county level, your mm-hmm. state level, federal level. Uh, any sites that come to your mind off the top of your head? Yeah, I love When We All Vote. I think they're all .org. Okay. So When We All Vote, .org, vote Vote 411 is great because it's like very, like it's very easy to use. It like reminds me of like the Nokia phone. It's like very user friendly. Um, and then yeah. uh, Rock the Vote, obviously, they partner with When yep. We All Vote. But there's tons of voting sites, and you can see them all on Instagram too. Just do yep. hashtag there vote. You if you do hashtag vote, you'll see hundreds of amazing resources. Bam. 
That's yeah. so perfect. And I love how you said that moving towards correction for all these areas starts with policy change. Yeah. So Black Lives Matter, huge, because the people who are in office don't care to change the policy. That's yeah. just, you know. Like who's making decisions? Your state attorney general. Do you really want an asshole attorney general? Like, no. Uh, well, no. and you know what, so, so, side tangent, you know what that <laughs> makes me think of state attorney general, Billions, New York, right? <laughs> oh, Have you yeah, seen Billions? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just started watching it. I, Michael got really into that show, so I just yeah, saw a few, a few episodes. Yeah, that's yeah, a good show. Yeah. All right, so bring it, bring it back to lighten the mood, but you're right, and people sometimes cringe at these serious topics because it's hard to discuss, but we have to, and that's where awareness begins. Yes. So again, thank you for using your platform for such good causes. Incredible. <laughs> Man. All right, well, you know what? Look, I don't want to take up any more of your time. You've been amazing. I would like to do this, if you don't mind. Can we do a quick rapid fire questions? Just yeah. fun questions. Okay, I, I didn't read it. Think. I don't I don't have I don't have anything prepared, so it, you know. Good. I don't want you to prepare. Okay. This okay. is on the fly. You ready? Okay, let's go. Your favorite favorite food? Uh raw raw onions. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> favorite libation. What's your favorite drink when you do drink? Um uh tequila. It's raw on the rocks. Okay. Good, I like it. <laughs> With a straw. Favorite Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> Favorite sport, which I think I might know. Oh, it's a toss-up. Can I have a tie? Of course. My two favorite sports, because they're so different, are um, I love figure skating and then rugby. Love rugby. Ru I rugby. would have never guessed rugby. Oh, my God, obsessed. Would have totally guessed figure skating. <laughs> love figure skating. From watching your IG, you're into dancing, too. Oh, I love dancing. But that's, I guess that's, is that more fitness? Well, I mean, like, like I, miss, I, I miss training with my, you had a oh, dance Oh, yeah, that was coach. for my, yeah, for my video, for my music video. Okay. Yeah, okay, I mean, okay, I can okay. dance, like, don't get me wrong. Right. Like, I remember that <laughs> I spent a lot of time in London at the club, so, I, I you know, I can oh, dance. But I don't, like, right, you know, right. I'm not, like, on, on Instagram dance. I'm not, like, watching dance competitions. Right, right, okay. All right, so we already de deduced that you don't have any free time. But the little bit every once in a while that you have free time, how do you spend it? I now, love not music. Yeah, I love laying in bed, watching movies, and ordering Taco Bell in bed. Like all the food <laughs> in my bed. Like, you know, like that's my favorite to just be in bed with lots of food and watching movies. I'm an eater. You know, one of the things I love about you, because you, you're, you're so beautiful, you're in such great shape, you look like a model all the time. I wish. But you're a foodie, you love oh, food. Eating. And you're like, when I come to New York, you're like, oh my God, we gotta go here, I gotta order you. The one time that I hung out, you're like, I'm ordering you this pizza and it's gonna show up and you're just gonna accept it. And Wasn't it's amazing. amazing? I was like, oh, come on. Oh, so good. It's incredible. New York incredible. pizza, can't get that in There's LA. nothing like, you can't, you can't. Okay, what activities do you enjoy on long flights when you used to have, well, you know, hopefully we'll get to do them again. I work on my, all my flights. You work. I love I it. Work I work all the time. What's the latest band or artist that you've listened to that you haven't worked on? Nothing that you're working on. Um, latest artist and band that I've listened to, nothing. Oh, but they're, yeah, because they're not alive. I've really, I've really been into rock lately. So, like, I just, um, you know, I was going to say uh, the Beatles. I really have been, like, because, you know, they've used a lot of classical music. Like, you know the song Yesterday? Absolutely. Of yes, course. Yesterday is like a Rachmaninoff piano sonata. 
Um, people that's don't right. people don't know that, but like um, obviously when I hear it, I'm like, oh, that's a that's like a very very obscure, very rare, like never hear it in concert piano sonata. Um, but I recognized it, and uh, and so I was like studying them, and I love like I've been listening to Led Zeppelin recently. Yes, I really like am into like I'm really into rock lately. I don't know why, but that's, that's like awesome. In the last week, I've been listening to a lot of rock. So cool. <laughs> favorite TV show or movie that you've been streaming lately? Oh, God, my favorite TV show. Uh, oh, I've been watching The Politician. Great it's show. So good. I'm obsessed. Love that show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't finished it yet. And being the professional fashion goddess that you are, how do you shop? Do you, is, it in, is it brick and mortar? Is it online, a combination of both? online shopping so i reserve my online i try and i get into this black hole because i'm addicted to shopping hard like addiction need to go to betty ford like you know like i have a problem so um i have to reserve my shopping for late night hours so often if you'll see me on uh instagram or if i'll be texting you in the middle of the night it's because i am online shopping between like midnight and 5 a.m Ah, that is awesome. <laughs> I love that. Okay, the craziest thing that's ever happened to you career-wise, you're on a gig, you're in a session, one of the most outlandish or funny things, something like oh absurd. What, like Cardi B twerking in my rehearsal with her whole ass in my face this close because the rehearsal piano was half the size of the Grammy piano, literally her butt cheeks right here. I felt like that was really intense. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, like, Hold on a minute while I catch my breath. <laughs> and like, you know, they changed As, her outfit after sound check. You know, Grant, it's CBS, so obviously uh, like, it's like, you know, like yeah. network. So um, yeah. during rehearsal, the whole week before, she didn't have anything under her bodysuit for rehearsal. <laughs> they made her put it on, you know, like later. And so like her okay. whole butt, like here. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So, so cool. twerking. That was pretty intense. Wow. That was intense. Yeah. I think that's my favorite one. This is this is like 70 something episodes. That's my favorite one by far. <laughs> okay, all right. Dream collaboration cuz you've collaborated with a lot of people. Do you have a dream collab? A dead or alive no, doesn't matter. I really re Oh, well, I I'm, I'm going to say someone alive. I really want to do a ballad with um, Ariana Grande. You know, nice. I really I know like I I love her voice, but also like I just love She's so talented, you know? I just yes. like talented artists. And, you know, I already did Absolutely. Celine Dion with Kenny, so Chuck. <laughs> well, you, you and me both can check that box off together. Yeah, exactly. We together. did Celine yeah. already. So it's like, I just, I love ballads, you know? There's nothing. That's I, awesome. I love yeah. ballads. So to do something with her or, like, someone who really has, like, vocal range like Beyonce, I think it'd be cool. Yeah. Like, a di I want to do a Disney song. I could see that in your future. Yeah. I want to do a Easily. Song. And whenever wait. I think of Disney, I think of Ariana. <laughs> Love it, love it. That's, that's a good point, that's a good point. It's a great pairing. Yeah. Okay, so here we go, final question. What would you do if you weren't a career musician? I always wanted to be an astronaut, but I'm claustrophobic, so it would never have happened. Um, <laughs> if I were not, so that's like, that's my ultimate dream job. Given that I'm claustrophobic and given that I've never studied science, 
professionally, yeah. I'm going to have to say I would love to be a real estate investor. Like my parents Ooh. did real estate and I get so much utility out of architecture. I like part mm. of the reason I loved Europe so much was because like McDonald's was in like a 25 foot vaulted ceiling, like neoclassical. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, yes. you go to make, the Apple store is like looks like City Hall. You know what oh. I mean? Um, Neoclassical <laughs> architecture paired with the music, paired with the the, the food or and like the culture. It's the Gilded just, Age. Oh my god! I get like oh. I get all like sweaty when I talk about like yes. Gilded Age architecture. So that is something that I would have loved to do, and maybe will still do in my future. There you go. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Incredible. Do you have a mantra lately that you uh, or or in life in general that you like to uh, you know yes. repeat? So I, you know who taught me this? My best friend, Sanaa Lathan. You know Sanaa. Um, yep. She, when I first became friends with her, I was kind of annoyed with her because she is, um, she's like, I'm a Virgo and I knew nothing. I'm from New York, not LA. So I don't know about <laughs> astrology. Um, so I was like, what's a Virgo? And she's like, me. And I'm like, okay. So she would always be like, can you do this? And I'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. And she'd be like, do it now. And I'd be like, I'll do it. And she'd be like, do it now. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so Virgo. But it was the best thing she had ever taught me because I was such a procrastinator. In fact, my nickname was No Show Clo because like, I was just like, I would be like, I, because I never understood like why people got mad if like I didn't come to something or if I didn't show up for something because I never cared. I was like thinking in my mm. own bubble. I was like, oh, if someone can't come, I'm like, no big deal. I don't care. You know, like I never cared. Sure. And so then I, it, it kind of crossed, as you know, in life, everything crosses over. Nothing is insular. And it, like, you know, if you're like, that's why I say, if you're learning an instrument as a young child, all of a sudden you start to do better in school because discipline crosses over. Same goes that's for right. bad habits. So like, I would never like do stuff right away and then I would forget. And so she was like, do it now. So now as much as I can, if I have to do something, even if it's as simple as like saving a post to like a folder or printing something, I do it right away. I try to do it now. Do it now. I love that. (laughs) Chloe, thank you so much for being a guest on The Career Musician. Oh my gosh, I love you. Are you kidding? Ditto. Follow The Career Musician at Facebook, Instagram, and sign up for The Career Musician newsletter at thecareermusician.com. Want to learn more about a particular topic? Tag at the Career Musician and use hashtag Career Musician to let us know what you'd like to hear. I'm just a nomad, nowhere man. Writing the songs in this one man band. A nomad. Hey, this is Nomad, host and creator of the Career Musician Podcast, and I am thoroughly stoked to be an official member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcast Network is the first of its kind as an all-music-based podcast collective. Please be sure to check us out at pantheonpodcast.com for more info.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.